This morning, though, we're going to talk about something a little bit different, and, and I really want to get to the meat and potatoes. Pastor Sandy says I have until 2 p.m. today, so is that okay with you guys? <laughs> sure. You're like, oh, crap, here we go. <laughs> so if you don't know, I like to move on stage. If I sit still, I get like fidgety, and I just want to shake and, and do everything. But I, I, I like to move, and I like to move, uh, and be expressive. So I don't apologize for that one bit because I'm excited for exactly what God's about ready to give us this morning, okay? So let me pray before we get going. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your holy presence being in this room right here and right now, Lord. And I pray that you start talking uh, to people in this room and those who are viewing online, Lord. I I think so often that we we come into a, a setting your house, Lord, that, that we feel overwhelmed or we've had a, we have a lot of stuff that's going on in our lives that, that causes distractions. And I pray right now that we take the next 10 to 15 seconds to pray to you specifically to remove those distractions from our lives, from our minds, from our hearts, from our tongues, and allow us to completely focus on you for the next 30 minutes or so. God, you have a word for us. Let us be open to it and let us respond to it in in a way that pleases you. God, just use me as your vessel this morning. Allow me to speak your words, not my words. And we're just going to give you the praise and glory for everything that you're going to do. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So this week, uh, I I was sitting there thinking and praying, and uh, I ended up reading a Wall Street Journal article. And you might be thinking, a Wall Street Journal? You're too young to read Wall Street Journal. I know. I get it. I I get that already. But um, I was reading a Wall Street Journal article, and it was because I was listening to a podcast that that drew my attention to this topic. And as I was reading this article, uh, this Wall Street article article journal was... um, Back in 1998, they did a survey based off faith-based people, or people who believe in Christ, who, who say that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And, and out of those people, 60, and this is in 1998, okay, 62% of people said that faith is the main priority in their lives. Their faith is their main priority in their lives. Now, if we fast forward to 2023, the, the same questions were asked to a different group of people. And that, that percentage went from 62% down to 39%. 39% of people prioritize their faith. Hence why we're talking about identity at, at camp. A 23% decrease between now and then when it comes to a level of importance of faith in our lives. And, and that's what led me to this, this topic this morning, faith. And if you have your Bibles or if you use a Bible app, I'm going to encourage you to turn to James, uh, the book of James. And if not, I'm going to have it on the, I'm, I will have it on the screen in the back too. But let me give you kind of like a synopsis of of the book of James. If you don't know James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. 
and the message of his book, which is five chapters, is simple, but it's hard for us because every single one of us are human. James wrote this book probably between 45 A.D. and 48 A.D. But when we read these five chapters, there's two words that resonates when it comes to the whole book of James. And those two words are faith works. Faith works. We can never in our own ability overcome adversity. We can never find the strength and trust without faith. We have a tough time focusing our attention on God because most of the times the situation that we are experiencing, it it consumes us. Whether it's a family issue, whether whether it's a work issue, it, it consumes us. It overwhelms us to the point where we lose our focus and our attention on God solely. The message of James tells us that we don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. With faith and with works, we stay steadfast on this journey, knowing that we will be perfected once we reach the gates of heaven. The message of James tells us that faith apart from works can never be sustained. In every day and every way, we need to strive in our lives to share the truth and proclaim the truth. Overall, the message of James encourages us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So the question that I want us to really ponder this morning, and you can go ahead and put it up on the, on the back screen, what if we put our faith into action? What if we put our faith into action? So if you have your Bible apps or Bibles, go ahead to James chapter 2, and we're going to start in the very middle uh, of James. And we need to make sure that we don't get this concept backwards. It's not that our work shows us that we have faith, but it's our faith that leads to works. And if we get this concept wrong, the truth is, guys, we get the gospel wrong. We get it all wrong. So we're going to start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, this is a very strong verbiage, is dead. I, I love how Shane, uh, James doesn't sugarcoat it. He's like, well, he doesn't put a well, maybe. He's like, no, if it's not accompanied by our actions, it is dead. One of the things before we keep going here is we have to see what James is trying to convey to us in this passage of Scripture. What James is not trying to say is that works must be added to faith, but rather that genuine biblical faith will inevitably be characterized by our works. The goal is to try and make this really practical this morning. And I'm I'm 
going to do my best to make it as practical as possible for all of us. So when, we, when I talk about practicality, I like to give kind of definitions and, and really get to the root uh, of faith and works. So here's the definition of faith. Faith trusts God and faith obeys God. Faith trusts God and faith obeys God. Works is, is a life of loving God and loving others. When we think of works, we think of the two greatest commandments. Love God, love others. That's works. Faith puts our trust in God and is obedient to where he calls us and when he calls us, uh, when he calls us and where he calls us to. This is one of the mantras I live by. God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for progression. What? You mean Christians? We're not supposed to be perfect? No. No, 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 no. Because we talk about it. We, we don't reach perfection until we reach the gates of heaven. But society tells us that if, that if we're Christian, we have to be this way. Wrong. It's wrong. We're just like them. The only difference is that we have, we have God in our hearts. And God has transformed us. He has moved us from darkness into his light. He's looking for all of us taking the forward steps in our relationships with him. And I know there's times where we're going to take two steps forward and we may take a step back because we're going to mess up. It's bound to happen. But as long as we're continuing to walk forward, then we're working and trusting and being obedient to God. Question for you guys, and I like a little participation. Uh, did anyone have a perfect week this week? Good. You are laughing because you get it. Because if you did, come on up because we're going to interview you right now because I want to know the secrets. Show me the secrets. So we didn't have a perfect week of loving God and loving others. That's why God's expectation for all of us is progression, not perfection. Legitimate faith leads to an ongoing love of God and an ongoing love of others. When we read James chapter 2, and we're going to read a little bit more here, we're going to dissect it. There's three different things from this passage of Scripture that goes with the title, Faith Without Works. Now, if I was going to title it, it's Faith Without Works this morning. Number one, faith without works is useless. Faith without works is useless. When we go back to the passage of Scripture that we just read, when we look at verses 15 and 16, James says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? You guys see where there is perceived faith with no works? It's, it's pointless. It's useless. When we say faith without works is useless, in James's illustration, it cuts two different ways. 
for the poor man who's receiving it, he receives this blessing from the Lord. He is encouraged and loved on by God through the man or woman with the bit of money that they do have. Now, if we flip the script a little bit to the man or woman who does have money, who has a bit of money, and is used by God in profound ways to minister to those who are hurting among them. When we look all around the world and we look at ourselves, I believe wholeheartedly that we, every single one of us in this room and who is watching online are blessed. We are blessed. And we've been blessed by God to live an open-handed life that shows we are not enslaved to those blessings, but rather we're grateful for them. Matthew 25, verses 40 through 43. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on, the, on his left, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the internal, uh, eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. This is Jesus talking in these, in these few verses. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25 is what James is trying to tell us in James 2 is as we experience the grace and mercy of God, as we rest in that saving faith alone, our hearts begin to be transformed and they begin to change so that our love for God translates into a love for people. It's not that our... It's not that... Excuse me. It's not our love of people that makes us love God. It's not our love of people that makes us love God. It's our love for God that translates into our love for people. Because honestly, people do us wrong all the time. They, they just do. And I think if we're honest with ourselves and, and this morning, it's difficult to love on people. It's difficult to love on people. I mean, let, let's have a Jesus moment this morning together. I'm going to be really vulnerable. There's people I don't care for. Ooh, I said it. I said it. I'm in trouble. There, there are people that I don't like. Anyone else agree with me? Yeah? yeah? Oh, okay, good. All right. Sandy, you've got a really good congregation that's participating. I like this. I like this. There are people that we just don't care for. The answer to the difficulty to love on people is not to try and make it work, but rather fall more in love with God. I'm going to try to make it work. How's your relationship with God? If it's good, then you should be, it should be easy to love on people. It should be easy to go up to people and introduce yourself. It should be easy to be able to share and express your faith with others. But if our relationship with God is not so good, or if we've kind of shied away a little bit from what he's called us to, it makes it a little bit more difficult when people come walking through these doors and be like, hey, how's it going? 
It makes it difficult because we're not in the right relationship with, uh, uh, with our God. And every single one of our relationships are different because our relationship with God is different than your, uh, like mine is different than yours. Yours is different than mine. Why do so many marriages fail? It, isn't that supposed to be our best friend that we're marrying? If that's what we say. That's supposed to be our soulmate. Hear it all the time. Man, we tried to make it work. We tried. I know many people have tried almost everything, but the main ingredient to creating a lasting marriage is to put God at the front and center of your marriage. If God is not in between you, your marriage is going to suffer quite a bit. If your soulmate, if your spouse is not more in love with God than he is with you, we need a, we need a, like a checkup. Like, I, I know I'm married and I think she's gorgeous. <laughs> but if she didn't marry me for my good looks, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm not a good looking dude, but she married me because of what I have in here. Maybe my good looks too, but it's right here. It's right here. She married me because I have a relationship with Christ. Not only do I have a relationship with Christ, it's how I express it outwardly. That's why she married me. Why, why do so many marriages fail? One in two marriages fail. Those are the statistics. It's because God is not the foundation of their marriage. He's not, the, he's not your first love in your marriage. God has got to be the first love. Number two, faith without works cannot save us. Faith without works cannot save us. If we were to keep going in James chapter 2, we're going to go back to verse 17. James tells us, So also faith by itself, it does not have works, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. This is a powerful statement right here. Here we go. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. That's powerful right there. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers sent them by another sent them off in a different direction, sent them off in another way. There's so much to unpack in these nine verses and I'm going to again, I'm going to try I'm going to try to do it as quickly as possible. We see right away that James introduces an antagonist in the first couple verses. He's questioning this concept of faith without works. And then he separates that since James has faith and works, and he only has faith. 
You see the antagonist in the early, the first three verses there in that section? Here is what James is telling this man and what he's trying to relay to us. If you have faith, that's awesome. Show me. If, if, if you have faith, great. Now outwardly express it. What James is saying is that we truly have faith in God and what He can do through us, then let's see it. It's putting our faith into action. Putting our faith into works. Here's the other thing that God is trying to say to us through James. I love how James goes back to the Old Testament and, and he brings the Old Testament to where they're at right now. And he shows biblical support showing that, uni- that the unity of the Bible is that faith alone saves us, but not faith that is alone. Faith alone saves us, but not faith that is alone. And, and James uses two illustrations. He uses Abraham at first. Abraham should come as no surprise because he, he, his nickname is the father of faith. Having faith that God would ultimately provide kids to Abraham and Sarah, he left what was comfortable. He left exactly where he was comfortable-wise, and he went. And what's crazy to think about is that it was 25 years later before they had that child. He was 75 at that time. It wasn't until he was 100 and Sarah was 90, call that a medical miracle, that they, that they had Isaac. And then you fast forward where he, he went up on the hill and he went on the mountainside to build the altar because he was ready to be so obedient to God that he was about ready to sacrifice his firstborn. I don't know about you guys, but pff, sorry God, have someone else do that. You know? He was willing to do that. He was willing to sacrifice to do the work of the Lord because he trusted and he had faith. But then there's this one person at the end, Rahab. I mean, they made a song about Father Abraham. I mean, we hear about it all the time in a little kid's church. I don't think we're going to sing it this morning unless you guys want to. I'm not a good singer, so I'd call the worship team back up to lead us. But um, <laughs> there's a song, Father Abraham, but... Not of, huh? Oh, no, you can't hear. No, 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 no. I'm good. I appreciate the encouragement, but no, not on the, I'm going to pass on this one. But there you go. All right. <laughs> but Rahab, who, who was she? She was a, she was a prostitute. She, she was a prostitute. And, and in Joshua 2, you, you guys can go back and read Joshua 2 later, you get to see Rahab's story. But in, in the realm of time, in the short term, let me just give you the background on her. She was a prostitute in Jericho. And, and let's think about this. No girl in their right mind dreams of becoming a prostitute. Prostitutes are used and abused and treated like a commodity. And it was no different back then. So Rahab was a, a used and abused. And to make it worse... Back during uh, this time where Rahab was, women were also treated like second-class citizens. Can you imagine what she was treated as? Think about it. 
I can't imagine how hard her heart was. She was a prostitute trying to get by. On top of it, she was getting used, abused, mistreated, and she was a woman. The the deck was stacked against her. But she had heard that Joshua had sent spies to scout and to conquer Jericho. And we got to remember, the walls of Jericho, it wasn't just like a little four-foot wall. The walls of Jericho were 25 feet tall. These were massive stone brick walls. She got, she got wind that salvation was, co- was coming and began to help the spies sent by Joshua. She hid them and redirected them once word got out in Jericho that spies were in the city. She put herself on the line. This someone who was just mistreated. I think we need to stop for a second and acknowledge that she probably had some doubts. She probably had doubts as she was doing this and, and experiencing this. I mean, what if these people were what if these people were going to do the same to me as what the people of Jericho had done to me? Like, remember, she's a prostitute. Now, can you imagine if she got caught hiding these spies? But she put her faith, the size of a mustard seed, to work by just hiding these men, and salvation happened. What Rahab did was a small step. It was just to hide these men, but the small steps eventually lead to something bigger, something greater. Again, not about perfection, progression. Faith without works is useless. Faith without works cannot save us. And lastly, faith without works is ineffective. Faith without works is ineffective. If faith is meant to lead us in trusting God, obeying God, and loving God in such a way where it flows out into the love of others, the invitation isn't a bunch of quit doing this and start doing this. It's see me, love me, pursue me, Chase me. There is a quote from Charles Spurgeon who, if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon was, he was a pastor in London. And and I wanted to give you this visual this morning. So I don't have the quote up on the screen. Just kind of listen and visualize this quote here. He says, A tree has been planted out into the ground. Now the source of the life to that tree is at the root whether it has apples on it or not. The apples would not give it life, but the whole of the life of the tree will come from its root. But if that tree stands in the orchard, and when the springtime comes, there is no bud, and when the summer comes, there is no leafing, no fruit bearing, but the next year and the next, it stands there without bud or blossom or leaf or fruit, you would say that it is dead. And you're correct. It is dead. It is not the leaves. It is not the leaves could have made it live, but that the absence of the leaves is a proof that it is dead. So too is it with the professor. If he hath life, that life must give fruits. If not fruits, works. If faith has a root, but there is no there be no works, then depend upon it the inference that he is spiritually dead is certainly a correct one. 
This quote by Spurgeon, it's an argument that it's not the leaf and the apple that makes the tree alive. It's that the tree is alive that produces the leaves and the, the apples. And in order to make something grow, you need roots. And, and, and the roots are with Christ. How are we rooted? How, how are we rooted? Faith without works is ineffective, but, I, but when you look at this passage of Scripture, it, it's really faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. As, uh, throughout the book of James, God, God isn't trying to steal from you. He's trying to invite you in. If I was to give anyone a book of the Bible to start with, James would be top two because it's just that practical. Let me give you an example as I close this morning as it relates to faith. I, I have two boys. They're 10 and 7. But as they were younger, we, we tried to introduce them to swimming early because in Florida, it's almost a requirement that you should learn how to swim. I mean, we're surrounded by water. So, so at an early age, we introduced them to the pool. And, and of course, they had their struggles and whatnot. And uh, at, at times, like, they had their little floaty life vest, so, so they can float around all the way through the deep end, and, and they think it's just so cool. Like, oh my gosh, I'm in the deep end, daddy, daddy, uh, and just be careful. Like, dad, I'm like hovering over, I'm like a helicopter dad. <laughs> like, but it's the moment they get out of the pool and they say, dad, I want to jump in. Dad, I want to jump in. Okay, all right, come to the edge. So, so my boys, they, they'll get to the edge and, and, and whatnot. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen this in kids, but when they're about ready to jump, they, they hesitate. They hesitate. And the reason they hesitate is because are they, they're thinking in the back of their minds, is he going to catch me or is she going to catch me? And when it came to my boys, they'd sit at the edge and they would do this little wobble, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, but, ready? And we waited for about two minutes before they decided to jump in. And then the moment they jump in and you realize they, that, uh, they realize that you catch them is the moment they say, let's do it again. Let's put our faith into this. God is calling us. What are we waiting for? Are we going to jump? And the truth is, when God is calling us, he's standing right there waiting to catch us. He's ready. But yet we're so hesitant. And I believe wholeheartedly that faith is 50% of the work. The action part is, is needed. And, and it's scripturally sound. It is scripturally sound. Maybe God has been calling you guys to stuff. Maybe it's been within the church. This church. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. And you've been like, someone else will do it. But God is calling specifically you to do it. Stop hesitating. Because the moment you jump, he's going to catch you. And the moment he, he catches you, you're going to see the fruits of you jumping. 
And then you guess what? You're going to want to do it again. You're going to want to do it again. Faith works. Faith works. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for allowing me to be the vessel to share that word this morning, Lord. And, and I pray, as with my prayers when it comes to preaching, that if we just take one thing from this sermon, one thing from your message, one thing from your word, and we implement it into our lives, we're going to become better versions of ourselves. God, if we're the ones who are standing on the edge waiting to jump in, and we want to jump in, I pray that you give us this encouragement that lets us know that we're here. You're here. (laughs) You're going to catch us. Because the moment we jump in, the blessing comes. And the truth of the matter is it's not just a blessing for us, but it's going to be a blessing for the individual that, uh, that we're called to the situation that we're called to. So often we have this mindset of, well, what is it for me? We got to get out of that mindset and, understand, and ask, what is, it for, what, is it in, what is in it for you, God? We made the choice to say yes. And I prayed this morning that we choose yes again to putting our faith into action, to jumping all in. God, we love you. We love you. And I pray this week, and a special prayer this week, that you send one person our way. One person our way that needs to hear and see the light. And I pray that we don't just turn them away. We sit down and we take time for that conversation to materialize and the relationship to build. That's how we grow the church. One person at a time. And it's by saying, yes, God, choose me. Send me. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.